We'll be reading again from John chapter 5. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Looking at a few other details concerning this uh, miracle that happened on the day of a festival in Jerusalem. While you're turning, let me give you another update uh, and, of course, some other information that I obtained. Uh, I'll just give it to you now. It didn't require church action at the time, so we didn't want to fold it into the business meeting. Uh, Brother Jeremy Hambrice uh, and his wife, of course, have a brand-new baby. I think her name, Emmy Rose, was born, uh, I think, the, the next week after he was with us. And uh, if you remember... Toward the end of his presentation, I asked him if there's something that they specifically needed that we could help with. Uh, And he mentioned the fact that as of yet, they don't quite have uh, a knowledge of exactly how they're going to pay for their tickets to go back to the Philippines. He said, we probably could get, we have the money, it's just going to be a hard uh, bill to have to pay to go back to the Philippines. He said, that's a big challenge for us, and it is a concern of us. It's coming up after the first of the year. So I pressed him to see how much it, it, it is, and he's done a little bit of uh, research, and he actually uh, texted me earlier this week, and he said that uh, he just picked a random date and so forth, and uh, the, for his whole family to fly back to the Philippines is going to be about $8,000. Now, People are already handing me money for that, and I will in the next few weeks begin to put it in the bulletin, put a bug in your ear that if you would like to make a difference in the life of this missionary, if we could take up a special offering to see how much of this we could gain uh, to try to help him out. It would be wonderful if our church could take care of that for him so they wouldn't be worried about that. That's a lot of money. Missionaries undergo a lot of expense when they come home for furlough. Uh, In that, they have to get over here then they have to fly back. Uh, And, of course, international travel is expensive for an individual. But when you have a whole clan like he does, uh, it is expensive. So be praying about that and be thinking about it. That's the number that he gave to me. And, of course, he said, you know, he didn't expect us to take care of all of it, but anything we could help him out with. He's very humble about even asking that. And if you remember, I had to push him to even give me that piece of information. uh, uh, He was reluctant to even ask us to do that, but... I think to be something that our church can make a big difference in the life of a a missionary and his family. John, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whosoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. 
He answered them, the man who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, not because not only he broke the Sabbath, but also he said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. And whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. As the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one but committed all judgment to the son that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We always thank you for a picture of Jesus. Help us look at this passage and see the things that really matter to our lives. Remind us of these things when we need them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Pretty obviously, such a healing as this is big news. And when you have someone walking through your town and lame people pick up their bed and walk, that's a big story. That would be a big story in the local paper. I would think it would even make the state paper. However, there's a bigger story here. You might ask, how can it be bigger that a man who had lain at this pool for 38 years picks up his bed immediately and now walks. Well, this is not just between Jesus and that man and located in, the, in this individual sphere of, of relationship. This is something that was spoken of 700 years before. In Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4, the Bible is very specific about a promise In Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4. Of course, we know Isaiah is filled with prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. Filled with them. And in this book, in the middle of all these prophecies concerning the Messiah, here is some indications on how to recognize him. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Verse 4. Say to those who are fearful hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance and will recompense with the recompense of God and will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing for the water shall burst forth in the wilderness. Here's how you'll know that the Messiah has come. Blind will see, the deaf will hear, and lame men will get up 
and walk. And do you remember when John the Baptist sent his uh, men to Jesus and said, John just wants to know, are you really him who was promised to come or do we look for another? And Jesus said, you just tell John what you've seen. The lame are getting up and walking. The blind see, the deaf hear. So we realized that was, of course, the signs that he needed to know. And that confirmed it. For 700 years, they knew that this would be the confirmation that the Messiah had come to town. So here we have a man that is lame getting up and walking. And the proof of this miracle was carried up under his arm. He picked up his bed and walked. Now, it's not a bed like we would know. It's like a bedstead with rails and a headboard. It was just a pallet. He was laying there on a pallet. He rolled up his pallet, and he was carrying it through town. And you would think that pallet would be proof to make people rejoice, especially the religious leaders who supposedly were on the lookout for the coming Messiah at any time. However, the proof becomes a scandal. Because he is carrying something on the Sabbath. And when we look at the major controversy, he's carrying a burden. And they said, you can't do that because you should not be carrying a burden on the Sabbath. True, God originated the Sabbath. And true, back in the law, God prohibited customary labor that you would do all week. And here's the reason. Mankind has a tendency, if left to his own devices, to work himself and others and his animals nonstop if they can make another dollar. And you see, God knew that people would do that. So God said, first of all, to honor me and the fact that I created the heavens and the earth in six days and to acknowledge the fact that I did create in six days and rested on the Sabbath, seventh, you keep the Sabbath. And you should do no customary work. And then he said this, neither shall your servants, neither shall your animals. You see, the Sabbath rest was given to humanity as a gift, a gift where you had to take the holiday, so to speak. You had to take the rest day because God knew without that the Jews as a nation, as do humans in general, would just try to work nonstop without any rest. And he knew that rest was vital and quietness was vital. However, some people tried to violate this and do customary work. And Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah does mention carrying a burden on the Sabbath. But Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 13, specifies this burden had to do with merchants coming into town with their packets of goods. Now, they're coming into town with their packets of goods. If that merchant's going to, what do you think the other merchants are going to do? Well, he can't make my dollar. If he's going to bring his bundle in, I'm bringing my bundle in. And so Nehemiah made it clear this business of carrying a burden were these merchants coming in the gates with their normal customary packets of goods that they were going to sell. However, the system of the day had turned this into a stiflingly dreary day with 39 rules concerning carrying burdens. 
In fact, if the tailor in town were to walk through town with a needle just in his lapel or in his garment like they normally would do, they would stop him and say, that's carrying a burden. You can't do that. So we realize it was a day that was meant to be restful, a day that was meant to be a gift, a day that was meant to be a blessing. The Jewish leaders had turned it into a stifling prison house of rules and regulations that didn't really apply. 39 different rules concerning carrying burdens. So we understand Jesus did not cause this man to break God's law. And Jesus did not break God's law by healing on the Sabbath. Jesus only broke their rules that were contrary to God's rules. Now, I know they're man's rules, but then again, if man's rules serve a decent end, we don't just ignore them because they're man's rules, but these rules were indeed contrary to the heart of God. Let me explain another issue of the Sabbath, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 6. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath that they might find an accusation against him. Now, we'll stop right there. They knew the heart of Jesus, didn't they? Now, why would they watch him close? Because they knew the heart of Jesus. If he saw a man with a withered hand, they knew that the heart of Jesus would reach out to them. Now, we have to ask the question, was the man there by accident or by chance, or did they invite him to church that day? But they were watching him close. Now, Jesus asked the question. He knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. It is lawful. It is, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy? And he looked round about them and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. They were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. He asked the question, I'm asking, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? They didn't answer him. Is it lawful to save life or to destroy life? They didn't answer him. In Matthew's account of this uh, event, he said, which of you would have a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath and you would immediately take it out? You'd do it. You'd take a sheep out. But he said, now you're watching to see if I would help this man. It's from this passage uh, or this rendition that we get the ox in the ditch. You ever had people that did something on Sunday and said, well, the ox is in the ditch. Well, let me tell you, you know how the ox in the ditch was folded into the law, had nothing to do with the Sabbath. It says if an ox falls into a pit, the one who dug the pit is liable. There's this ox in the ditch business, so it had nothing to do with the Sabbath. Had to do with who was who was responsible. If y'all dug a pit and an ox or a donkey fell into the pit, it was my fault. I had to make it good. 
But the ox in the ditch, of course, people talk about sometimes as a convenient excuse. But what Jesus is talking about, the heart of the matter. What's more important, to do good or to obey some man-made ritual that was contrary to God's heart anyway? Because what is God's heart? To save lives. What is the heart of Jesus? To save lives. So Jesus reached out. In verse 18 of this particular passage of Scripture, in John chapter 5, it says they were filled with rage, or they sought the more to kill him, not only because he broke the Sabbath. Now, it's interesting, if you go to the original language, the verb tense is not he broke the Sabbath as in that one event. The verb tense is not only because he was continually breaking the Sabbath. This is not the first time. This was part of his pattern. They saw Jesus, somebody who... He had the audacity to heal people on the Sabbath. Uh, they knew who he was when this man pointed him out to him. They knew he had done this before. In fact, they set him up one time to do it before. He healed, of course, in Luke chapter 4, I believe, a man who was obsessed with a demon. He healed him. So they knew the heart of Jesus Christ. So we have the major controversy is the proof that this guy was healed and lame for 38 years but now walking around now turns into a scandal. They make it into a scandal, but then there's a bigger controversy. Now, if you see here, they sought to kill him. You say, man, what can be bigger than that? Well, notice what he says in verse 17. Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. Interesting. My father is working, and I am working. Now, the Jews, of course, claim God as Father, but they always said, our Father. Jesus said, my Father, making him what? The Son of God, proclaiming his deity. And John's gospel starts from the first to the last proclaiming the deity of Christ. You remember in John chapter 1, Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the light was, life was the light of men. Then it says this, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. God uh, sends this Word through John, and He starts the Gospel of John saying, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. And you remember, of course, toward the back of the book, chapter 20, where he says, these miracles are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and believing you have my, may have life in his name. Now, through the years, critics of Christianity, and of course, some, some of them, of course, look at the Bible and they analyze it and they, in their critical analysis, they'll say, this business of Jesus being God was just invented a little bit later on. Jesus never claimed to be deity. If you look at the words of Christ, he never claimed that. This is what everybody else says. Oh, really? Jesus says in chapter 10, verse 30 of John, I and my Father are one. How else do we interpret that? Those are the words of Jesus. 
I and my Father are one. Later on in verse 38, he says, I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. That tells me Jesus was talking about being one with the Father. Now, even the enemies of Jesus Christ understood the claims. Look a little further. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said God was his father, making himself equal with God. The critics of Christ all the more wanted to kill him. Why? Because they said, he says he's the son of God. So all these years later for someone to say, Jesus never said he was God. That was just invented later. Through the words of Jesus, he specifically said, I and the Father are one. Did you catch that? The Father works, and I'm working too. And what he's saying is, yes, God rested from the act of creation on the seventh day, but not, God never stopped being God on the Sabbath day. And he says, I continue to work on the Sabbath day as well. And what was the work that he did? Those acts of compassion. Is it, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Yes. Is it lawful to save a life on the Sabbath? Yes. Is it recommended that we be about doing that? Absolutely. Because Jesus did those things as well. So there we have the healing's big news. But the even bigger news is it is proof that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God that was prophesied that would come. Somehow they missed it. But I'm glad that uh, somebody else didn't made sure to point it out. Is there anything before we close?